Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. I'm your host, Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney and educator right here in Missouri. I love our state and our country, so let's talk about ways to make them even better. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Timothy McBride, an expert in healthcare, economics, policy, and Missouri's Medicaid program. Missouri voters recently chose to expand Medicaid, but the legislature seems to disagree. We'll talk about what Medicaid expansion could do for the state of Missouri. Well, welcome to the Alad Pod. This is your first time on. Very excited to have you. Yeah, I'm great. It's great. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a, a very timely issue right now uh, regarding Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, what's happening in Missouri uh, recently, very recently. In fact, uh, in, in August of last year, the people of Missouri voted to put uh, Medicaid expansion uh, we put it on the ballot through the signature and then voted to put it in the state constitution. And just this past week, the Missouri State House uh, <laughs> and tried to look at the budget and what we're going to be doing in Missouri uh, actually separated the expansion component into its own bill and decided to vote it down. So they have not funded that portion of Medicaid. So I know there's a lot of folks who have a whole ton of questions right now, uh, and uh, we're going to try to get as many answers as we can. But for those of you who do not know you and all the wonderful work that you have done, uh, would you mind introducing yourself, telling folks uh, who you are and what you do? Oh, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And again, thanks for the invite. Um, I've known you for a while and appreciate the hard work you've been doing for the state. Um, so I'm a professor, the Bernard Becker professor at Washington University. I'm in the Brown School. Um, I'm a health economist by training, do a lot of work on health policy. I've been in Missouri for about 30 years now, over 30 years. Um, like I like to tell people I can't hold a job because I've been at all three universities in St. Louis, <laughs> University of Missouri, St. Louis, St. Louis University, and now Washington University. So I'd like to move around. Um, and before that, I was at the uh, Urban Institute in Washington, D.C. I also worked at the Congressional Budget Office as an intern. Um, so budget policy is a big thing for me. Um, I got my PhD at the University of Wisconsin in economics back many years ago, um, and um, and notable for this, I guess, uh, well, you know, most of my research is in the area of health insurance and um, and health policy, federal policy, the Medicare program for a long time, but in the last 15 years or so, I've focused in on Medicaid and state policy and for about nine years, I was on the Mo Health Net Oversight Committee, and for seven years, I was chair of the Mo Health Net Oversight Committee, and got pretty immersed in Medicaid policy. So yeah. that's notable for this uh, for this issue that we'll be talking about today. So, right. could could you tell folks? Because um, I know you know Mo Health Net. Uh, does yeah. not rhyme with Medicaid, but it is essentially the state Medicaid plan. Is that or the program? Is that right? Right. In 2005, um, there was a bill passed by the Missouri Legislature to rename um, 
Medicaid, Mo Health Net, and it was to create a program that you know to it was to rethink the Medicaid program, to refocus it around health, you know, to improving health. Um, it was also a bill that cut 10% of the people off Medicaid and 10% of the expenditures. Um, some of that was reversed later um, by Governor Blunt um, and, and, and then Governor Nixon came in afterwards. But um, that bill was uh, ostensibly what other, pro what other states did later in Indiana and Iowa and other places was to focus in on creating, you know, some of this we never put in place, to be honest, to have every person in Medicaid have a health plan and to improve their health and those kind of things. It's, some of it was good ideas, but, you know, some ideas get put aside. <laughs> so, um, right. but, you know, the, the name was put on it at that point called Mo Health Net. It's still in the Department of Social Services. Uh, it's essentially Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so Medicaid, uh, you know, I, I think some folks, especially, especially if you're, if you're not of that age yet, you get a little confused between Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, could, yes. you, could you tell us, I guess, like in general, what the differences between those two programs are? It's always a good place to start by, mm -hmm. you know, understanding those programs. Um, Medicare, let's start there as a program that's an entitlement program that you know, if you have a job and you're paying your federal payroll taxes, you are, you know, by the time you get to be 65 and you get Social Security, you'll get Medicare, essentially. And you also can get Medicare if you become disabled, unfortunately, um, before you uh, become 65. So Medicare is our main program for taking care of the uh, disabled and those on, who are retired. Medicaid is a program that um, is really a state federal program. So each Medicaid program is different. The federal government created it in 1965 at the same time as created Medicare, um, but each Medicaid program looks different, much as in a sense, definitely our program in Missouri looks different than other states. Um, it's originally was an optional program, but every state has one. Um, and the eligibility levels, most importantly, you know, we could talk a long time about how different each program is, but for this discussion, what's important is who's eligible for Medicaid is um, is optional and different. And um, in Missouri, we have one of the lowest eligibility levels for Medicaid in the country. For custodial parents, it's around 20% of the federal poverty line, which the federal poverty line is a little over $12,000 for a single person, about $20,000 for a family of three. So that means you can have about a little over four four or five thousand dollars and not be eligible for Medicaid if you have if you're say um, a parent and have two kids and if you have no children you are not eligible for Medicaid at all unless you're disabled um, children on the other hand are eligible for Medicaid up to 300 percent of poverty and the disabled are eligible um, at about 85 percent of poverty mm -hmm. so that's a quick overview of Medicaid yeah. So, so for, no, yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> there's a, obviously a lot to talk about how it all works because the, the Medicaid program is so state specific, um, which is why in Missouri, uh, there's an amendment now. There was an amendment that was put yeah. in that changed mm -hmm. a bit. So what, what did the, what did the amendment do? 
Yeah, you might want to share the first slide if you want. Wow, to. you've got a slide on this top. Who could yes. have thought? <laughs> I can't be a professor without having a PowerPoint slide. So let's get you on the side. We're going to get really small in the corner here, so we can share yeah, the slides. So. There you go. We're oh, there I am up there with you. Uh -huh. So in August of last year, August fourth, the voters by a margin of fifty-three to forty-seven. Uh, statewide margin of about 82,000 votes passed the uh, vote amendment to the state's constitution. And it was fairly simple on purpose that it um, expanded Medicaid for all people up to 138% of the federal poverty line. Um, and, um, and it required two things to be done. Um, as you can see in those big green boxes, the state has to submit a plan, which they have done by March 1st, saying how we're going to do this. Um, we're awaiting response, as I understand it. And the state's been working diligently on, and to their credit, in, in the MoHealth division to create all the bells and whistles to do this. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and then the next step, as you can see, is July 1st, this goes live. And the other thing to note about this is, um, as the second paragraph or the last paragraph says, um, and you're a lawyer, I'm not, but <laughs> the important thing about this is it says no imposition of additional burdens or restrictions on eligibility enrollment for the expansion population. What I understand that to mean is, number one, um, the people in the expansion population get the same benefit package as those in the current. Medicaid program, mm -hmm. number one. And number two, you cannot impose restrictions on them, such as, for example, a work requirement. Mm -hmm. That is what that means. So I think the important point is backing up. This is a so-called clean expansion up to 138% of poverty. For everyone who qualifies, of course, they have to be a non, they have to be a citizen, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and um, and then these other requirements and it's supposed to go live on July 1 and the state's been doing everything to get this done. Yeah. So the, the plan, the state plan that gets sent to, uh, the federal government for approval. Is that, is that how that yes. works? Yep. Okay. That's, it. I say CMS here, sorry about the abbreviation. That yeah, stands no, for Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So since it's a federal state program, nothing can be done to Medicaid without getting federal approval. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and for the, the, I know you mentioned briefly uh, work requirements. So something that some states have done to mm -hmm. the expansion population, or I guess even in general, uh, could be that they require folks to be seeking or, or, or looking for work or, or maybe even getting work in order to uh, access these kinds of benefits. Um, and so it, with, with the amendment, is your understanding of the amendment um, that you know, the no additional burdens or restrictions on the expansion population versus the uh, folks who are already on Medicaid, um, I mean, they're comparing two different populations. I guess, I guess before I ask the questions about that, uh, there are folks who are currently on Medicaid before we expand. Um, oh, yeah. Discuss, discuss that population a bit. Do you know about how many folks uh, are in each of those categories? Like how many folks are currently on there versus how many folks could be added through expansion? Oh, sure. Um, I've, I tracked that on a pretty regular basis. I did when I was chair of the committee, and this is a research topic for me, 
we have currently about a million people on the Medicaid program, of which about 650,000 of them are children. So the vast majority are children. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that um, we want to say, uh, I don't have on the top of my head, I can look it up in a minute, but the, um, the you know, the rest are custodial parents. I want to say probably 120,000 or so are custodial parents. Then the rest are disabled um, uh, of probably under age 65. And then the, the, the remaining group is pregnant women. Mm -hmm. So there's a program that allows you to go on Medicaid before you're uh, while you're pregnant and remain on the program for about 90 days after pregnancy. So those, those are the largest groups. Um, there's a bunch of other smaller groups. You know, I don't mean to belittle them by saying they're smaller, but it's foster children and a bunch of other groups. But right. the largest groups are children, uh, um, their parents, um, the aged, and the aged folks, since we talked about Medicare, are, they're both on Medicare and Medicaid, but they're very poor mm -hmm. and the disabled. So those are the four groups. Yeah. And this, you know, um, we'll talk about it in a minute. I'll ask you to share another slide. This Medicaid expansion is projected by the governor to add about 274,000 adults. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, we can go to the next. Hold up. Let's let's go back. Sure. Oh, let me yeah. flip my slide here. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, the governor's projections and the legislature has adopted this as um, that you know, and he came out with the state of the state address in his budget in January um, or early February, I can't recall, but um, uh, his projection is, his budget office projection, mobile health next projection is about 274,000 adults will come onto the program in the first year. Um, and um, I break that out, we've done analysis of this. And as you can see, it's comprised about three fifths from people who don't have insurance currently. Mm -hmm. And then the other 40% uh, or so are people that are either in private plans. And what that is, is people in the marketplace plans, you know, to get it a little bit in the weeds. If you're between 100 and 138% of poverty right now, you can actually go on the so-called individual marketplace under the ACA, get heavily subsidized insurance, um, it's thought that most of those people or all those people will go on to Medicaid or should. Um, and that's what that number mostly is. Um, there's a small number of people that are employed and they may move over from their employment plan into Medicaid. Um, mm. Some people call that maybe the Walmart effector. Right. You know, they have a, you know, they have a pretty low paying job and their insurance, um, you know, might be just better to go on. Medicaid. It's sometimes called crowd out by economists. But, um, mm -hmm. So it's not a huge number, but you can see uh, the biggest number is about 150,000 uh, currently uninsured. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, you know, again, putting the numbers together, we have about a million people on the program now, and about this might add 270,000. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any other slides on here? This is great. Well, stuff. the next thing is about the budget, if you want okay. to talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about should... that. I was about to ask about money because, 
there's going to be a big question about where this funding is going to come from now. So, you know, as this rolled out, um, you know, the governor gave a state of the state address and, you know, um, what was notable about it on the right hand side, and I have a clip from an article in the Missouri Independent, uh, the governor came out and he said um, the headline in the article was the governor's budget funds Medicaid expansion without cuts to other programs. And the governor came out and he included funding for Medicaid expansion. And, you know, I think it's notable and, you know, commendable that the governor came out right after expansion was passed and said, and he was not in favor of expansion, we all know that. Um, but he said, it's the will of the people. Um, and I, you know, the people have spoken and I will implement it. And he's been sticking with that. And this quote at the bottom, on the right-hand side is what he said just the other day, although I didn't support it. But the reality is the people of the state voted for it. It's my obligation as governor to make sure it gets implemented. So he's been saying that all along. And as, as I said, Mo Health Net's been working on that. Um, what's also notable, and uh, you know, I think those of us who follow this is um, his budget officer said, um, notably in that quote, uh, they could pay for this without crowding out any other spending for, say, education, roads, prisons, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we are in a situation now in our state budget where we have a lot of money. And I don't think I've ever seen that in our state. You know, um, you know, it's great news. Um, we start the year with a billion dollars in the bank. And then we have you know, almost an embarrassment of riches in the state. Yeah. Um, it's partly because of, um, you know, we're getting a lot of money from the federal government to help pay for the pandemic and um, the American Recovery Plan, Rescue Plan. Um, so on the left-hand side, what you know, just without getting too much in the weeds, but mm -hmm. um, these are the estimates of what it would cost to expand Medicaid, roughly $1.6 Again, the state has to spend, pay for about 10% of that. When you sort it all out, there are some savings that they account for. The general revenue share of that um, is, you know, again, federal government pays 90%. So almost all that's federal government. The state pays 10%, but their savings, that comes down to about roughly 130 million. Um, but this is really important. Um, recently passed American Rescue Plan had a provision in it. Um, this is Congress passed this. Uh -huh. um, so they have a provision to incentivize states that have not ex passed expansion of Medicaid. Um, there's 12 states that have not done it, including Missouri. And we fall into that group because at the time it was, this bill was passed. We had not, we have technically not expanded Medicaid, even though we passed a law to a constitutional amendment to do it. Right. We will get funding to encourage us to do it. Mm -hmm. By by most people's estimates, that's 1.2 billion with a B. Yeah. Over two years, 1.2 billion. So, you do the math on that. That gives us more than enough money to pay for it. Right. The general revenue plus. looks pretty they're, good. They're, yeah. yeah, it looks pretty good, um, you know, so, and there's even more money than that, but I'll just stop there and say that, um, you know, you just balance those numbers together, it looks like there's enough money. Right. So I, right. I don't know if that helps, but, you know, a concern all along, and it's a valid concern, is do we have the money 
in the budget to pay for the even the general revenue share of this um, and um, the house as you said voted put the medicaid expansion into a separate bill house bill 20 and then voted it down yeah. um, and said we don't have the money um, or whatever the reason was to do it a variety of reasons and now it's in the hands of the senate yeah so yeah. there we are uh, this is this is very helpful. This visual is great. Um, mm -hmm. So 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 the total when you say you know the total cost that big line item right at the top that's one point five seven billion, but the share for the state is much lower than that. that that's total with with federal plus state, correct? On the top is what yeah. you know literally what those two hundred seventy four thousand people are going to cost to provide them medical care. That's one estimate of it. You know there may be a you know, there may be a few more costs in the scale. The budget's hard to read, as you know, it's thousands of pages. Right. But that's roughly the, that, that's the number that was in um, the House Budget Bill 20. Um, yeah. But, I, and, you know, there's, I think people have said there's other Medicaid costs in other mm -hmm. places in the budget, but that's pretty close to the right number. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's, in other words, that's the total cost. Uh -huh. to fund the 274,000 people that are estimated to roll in, in the first year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then of that, the state is only paying a portion of that, the 10% of that, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you did, if you know, if you did math, even, well, you know, you could do math on that, that would be 160 million, right. but it comes out to 130 million because the state assumes some savings. Mm -hmm. You can talk about that if you want, but yes. so... I do want to talk about that. So one what, what of the things, one of the things that folks really, um, you know, that I've heard quite a bit of, and some folks send me, you know, newsletters from their local representatives or whoever else, uh, you know, said one thing or another. And, uh, you know, I, there's this upfront cost, right? And I mean, you've already discussed this. It's not really taking away from any other services because we've got so much money in the bank right now. We're in a really good fiscal situation as a state, which is great news uh, so it, it's not really taking away as, as some folks are saying but I, th I think what what the argument that we're hearing against this is maybe the one that uh, you know is is a little harder for people to grasp because I don't know what the future looks like they're saying that in the future this is going to cause problems for uh, Missouri's budget on the other hand, like you mentioned, some cost savings, and I know there are folks who are saying, hey, we're going to actually save money, and there's going to be investment in this state, and we're going to be able to increase revenues that way. Uh, could you talk a bit about you know, what, what could the potential costs be moving forward for Missouri with expansion versus what those benefits could be moving forward? What do those look like? Yeah, so this everything I put on the screen there and everything that's in House Bill 20 and the governor's budget was this year, fiscal year 2022. Right. So as you think through this, and we've done it ourselves at our center, and the auditor did it when she put the fiscal note on the mm -hmm. amendment, uh, had to think out five years. Um, and believe me, Mo Heltnet thinks about that as well. And, and Cody Smith, the chair of the House Budget Committee, I know he's worried about that, because I listened to an interview with him in public radio yesterday and you know it's um I, you know i think we should be thinking about the long run costs um i talked about it a lot when i was chair of the mohel net oversight committee and um medicaid program has risen 
in costs just overall for years. Um, and um, it's not just this expansion population, but it's the overall Medicaid population. And it doesn't get enough attention. Um, to his credit, Todd Richardson, the director of Mole Health Net, who's on leave right now, but I, you know, I hope he comes back because I think he's a great director, a great person. Um, and he's been thinking about um, pretty smart reforms to Medicaid, uh, transformation of Medicaid. And, you know, there's a lot of things we can do to get, you know, control of some of the costs of Medicaid. But, you know, more directly to your point, which is what would expansion do to costs in the long run, um, there's an abundance of evidence now, literally over hundreds of studies that show that expansion um, doesn't, you know, explode the costs of state budgets. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, it's, you know, it, it actually, um, especially with the federal support for Medicaid expansion, it, there's no state that has, you know, one thing I'll tell you, evidence piece number one is no state has expanded Medicaid and then said, we need to reverse the decision and mm -hmm. end it because we can't afford it. So that's evidence number one. Number two, um, most states see the toughest year for expansion in the first year, and then it gets a little easier after that because they start seeing more savings after that. Um, and I could talk about that further, but, and then number three, I think there's some savings that we have not accounted for even um, sort of put in on that slide that I talked about. For example, there may be some savings to our mental health budget. There, there may be some savings to our prison budget. There, you know, there are maybe savings um, or enhanced revenues that come into the state through state um, income taxes and payroll taxes and such, because basically the federal government's flying over the state and dropping close mm -hmm. to $2 billion on the state. Right. And, you know, right. that's like, that's not, that's real money. Um, and it's going to be income to whom? Income to hospitals and doctors and nurses and healthcare suppliers. And, you know, they're going to get taxed. Um, it's not a non-zero number. Um, so we may see enhancements to the revenues of the state and frankly, pretty immediately. Mm -hmm. And other states have seen that. And then the other thing that could and should happen is utilization of the poor, um, the people that go on Medicaid. This isn't going to happen immediately, but you, over time, you start to see improvements in their health. You know, the truth of Medicaid population is people roll on the Medicaid when they need it. Mm -hmm. um, so there are people that are not on the Medicaid program, um, but when they, they need health care, they go into the hospital, they go into the doctor, they go into the emergency room, then they say no at the time they need it the most. And then, they, and then they roll off Medicaid when they don't need it. That's really a bad way to take care of people. What you really want is... To, you know, person who's at 95% of the poverty line to give them preventive care so they don't go to the emergency room. And if we do that, um, you know, you might catch their cancer at stage two rather than stage four. Mm -hmm. And that might lower costs. And there's evidence that that's happening yeah. in other states. Does that help? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that's just the biggest the biggest question, right, that folks are throwing at this despite. I mean, like, what, how many, what, there's 12 states now that haven't expanded, including ours, is that right? Yeah, uh, there'll be 12 after, there's 12 left after us. 12 left, okay, there's, 12 left. After yeah, us so in 20, Oklahoma, I think. 39, right? including us, including yeah. D.C., I always like to count D.C. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, do you, I don't know, I mean, other than, it just, I don't know. It's just this whole funding question is so up in the air right now. With the, I mean, here's the pro- the problem is, and it's more from a legal standpoint, is that the amendment says that eligibility shall expand. So this summer, it shall expand to people who you know are at the 138 uh, percent of the poverty line, and it's it, that that is going to happen. And so you know, I, I and there, we had a question in here, and it was from. Um, Elaine, let me see if I can find it, who wrote, by the way, a wonderful op-ed in her local paper. I highly recommend if you've got some opinions oh, on great. this issue or anything, yeah. please go ahead and write. Um, but let me see if I can find, I might not be able to find it on here right now. Um, but it, it was it was just, I mean, this question about, you know, uh, it, it says in, in the state constitution now that this eligibility will be uh, increase. That's what the Constitution says. And it doesn't include, you know, any any kind of revenue. So it's not like, hey, we're going to tax people more to pay for this, and here's how it's going to yeah. be funded. Uh, it doesn't say that. Now, if it just had said, you have to fund this legislature, and we're not going to give you a way to do that, like we're not going to increase fees or taxes, that would be unconstitutional in the state of Missouri. Like there's a provision that says, hey, you cannot put a burden, uh, you know, it's the legislature's job to go ahead and appropriate funds and, and that's their job, right? So right. you can't tell them, go do that now because there's separation of powers, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if you had fees in there, you could have said, hey, well, now you have to use these fees to do that. That would have been appropriate. If you don't do either one, then all it says is you shall increase eligibility. And so now it is up to, it's up to the legislature to decide, well, how much funding are we going to give to the Medicaid program? Now that there's going to be more people in there. So now that we're adding the 274,000 plus people who are on there. And I don't, is this right for me? I mean, I guess part of it is because, you know, with the current Medicaid program that we have now, there are some basic things that we as a state have to abide by in order to get that funding from the federal government. Does that kind of are we jeopardizing any of that if we don't fund this program? Like what I'm worried about is I feel like if we're not putting money into this program that is going to have to expand on July or someone's going to sue and make it expand, then we're essentially to some degree, because you're more people in the pot, the same amount of money, which means less money per person to some degree, we're, we're actually defunding the Medicaid program in Missouri. Well, you're the lawyer. I'm not. So, <laughs> so you know, we're we're yeah. venturing into territory that I'm not 100% sure about. Um, right. What I understand is what I've thought about, and other people I've talked to have said there may be three paths that might happen after this. You know, right. the House has voted no. The Senate may vote yes and right. put the money in, and and it goes back to the House, and who knows what. Um, Path number two is the House and the Senate vote no, and then, and then, I'll talk about that in a minute. Path number three is it goes to the courts, and then you know some of the issues you're talking about. And I'm not an expert on the legal issues, you know. I hope it doesn't go to the courts because yeah. the vo- voters have spoken. But 
So let's talk about path number two, for example. I was on the Mental Health Net Oversight Committee for many years, and um, they would come in with the budget, and they would say, here's the governor's budget, and, the gov and we're projecting this number of people are going to come into the Medicaid program, say 800,000 people. Um, and, and we think it's going to cost this much, so we're putting this much into the budget. Um, now, that was just an estimate. Um, frankly, a lot of times those estimates were, I thought, were underestimates. Um, and because they oftentimes estimated no growth in enrollment, but yet population always grew. Um, or populate or poverty rates were growing or something like that. They would assume pretty low rates of medical inflation and that kind of thing. So around October or so, September, August, something like that, they would come back and they'd say, uh oh, we made a mistake. You know, or they didn't say we made a mistake, but we need two hundred million more for Medicaid. We need a supplemental budget. And it was the governor's office that was saying that the governor's budget person, and they would ask the legislature to pass $200 million for Medicaid. And the legislature would grumble and complain, and, you know, but they would always do it. <laughs> they would maybe nick and mm -hmm. nick at it and stuff like that. But they, you know, what choice did they have? They had to provide Medicaid services to people. Um, otherwise, there'd be a crisis. They couldn't pay the providers. So the point I'm making is if on July 1st, we're saying that people are eligible by law up to 138% of poverty, then people are going to sign up and then they're going to start getting services. And then if we've allocated X billion dollars for it, and then in August, September, they find they discovered that they don't have enough money to pay for that. They're going to come in with a supplemental bill. That's one possibility, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some of the legislators say that may be a possibility. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. In a, in a, in a sense, you know, the amendment says if you're below 138 percent of poverty, you're eligible for Medicaid by right. the Constitution. And so, like, for example, if I were making 95% of poverty on July 1st, I could sign up mm -hmm. and I could start getting Medicaid and, and they got to find the money somewhere. Right, right. I mean, are there, uh, there are like basic requirements that you have to meet in order to get federal Medicaid funding for your plan, right? Yeah. 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 So, and as I said, they've already submitted the state plan amendment yeah. and, you know, they're going to get the federal government to sign off on it. And if they sign off on that, well, there we go. Right. And, you know, so, um, as I say, the Mo Health Net's done everything, you know, to do everything, you know, we, we've been, I've read that and looks good. It's yeah. pretty straightforward. Um, to Mo Health Net's credit, to the governor's credit, to Todd Richardson's credit, and everybody's credit, they've been doing everything right. Right. And the governor said it right, right away. Said, "People have spoken. We're going to do the will of the people." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And more power to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, there have been some state senators who, you know, have come out and said pretty clearly that um, they disagree with what the House did. So, you know, in the in the budget process, if the Senate puts it in, uh, they have to have one budget bill. They have to agree, and that's what goes to the governor. So they'll have to get in a room together and, um, you know, hash out whatever differences they have. So that's why, that's why there is still, uh, despite what the House did, there is still a chance that. Yeah, there's still a chance, and right. I have no idea. This is going to be a pretty wild ride until. It, it absolutely may, is. May yeah, this is a special so. one. Yeah. When and you I asked can't... earlier if this made sense, my immediate answer was no, this doesn't make sense at all. But, you know, that's where we are right now. So. This is Missouri. We're used to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, and I, you know, I wouldn't want their job. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I wouldn't want the governor job. So, <laughs> that's a tough one. Yeah. Well, we got this question. Oh, this one's from Elaine. And it's kind of related to what I was talking about before. Um, but I'll put that on the screen. So, uh, is there precedent in Missouri for ballot initiatives like Amendment 2 to expand Medicaid uh, that do not cite a specific source of funding? Um, so, the answer is yes. So, actually, I discussed that a little bit before um, in terms of if you're going to require the government to allocate money, then you've got to put some source of funding. So, that's a fee or a tax or, or something else you're going to have to get. Uh, but there's plenty that we, we voted on recently that don't have any of that on there. Um, so, you know, changing how we're doing redistricting, for example, we did that twice now in the last couple of elections. Uh, and so, yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff that we put on the ballot uh, pretty regularly that, uh, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't require the legislature to allocate funds for it. Uh, it certainly could choose to if it wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a regular thing. So, um you know, I, I understand the argument. If if this amendment had said, legislature, you must give money to this, that would be one thing. Um, but, I mean, just with how Medicaid works and, and how healthcare works, uh, it's probably good to put uh, some money there because, you know, uh, you got you to gotta pay people to provide healthcare. And uh, in addition to that, if we give some money now, we get a whole ton of money into the state. So uh, that we're already paying Well, and I think I would tax. also... I think I would also point out the process was we got signatures, then it goes from the secretary of state to the auditor right. who determines whether it, it, you know, it has that rule that you said, um, mm -hmm. which is, do you need a pay for, do you need to actually put in a line that says, you know, is this, does this need a funding source? Mm -hmm. Um, the auditor determined it did not because, um, you know, she, she looked at the studies and said that it was not required. And as I pointed out in the slide I showed you, yeah, we have more than enough money to pay for it. And that was, in fact, we with that $1.2 billion, we could probably pay for it for 10 years. Right. Um, because the federal government's paying 90% of the costs and the 10% that the state has to pay for now, the federal government's paying, you know, all that for 10 years and that he doesn't even account for savings that might come up that I think are, you know, we don't have to get in the weeds, but I think it could mm -hmm. be even better than this. Um, there's also some enhanced federal match funding that's coming in um, another $500 million that are coming in just this year. So we don't want to count this in the long run. 
but there's yeah. another $500 million that are coming in because of the pandemic. So the state has another $500 million. Um, and, um, and so there's, there's actually plenty of money for Medicaid right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, if somebody says, well, we don't have enough money to pay for it, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, that was the thought before August as well. So, right. Right. And it also, in addition to, I mean, this was already taken to court prior to the vote. Twice. Yeah. Yes. Twice. And uh, yeah, it survived both of those challenges too. So, mm-hmm. yep. So there's, there's money in there. Just depends what we're going to spend it on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Got a lot of, got a lot of comments coming in. Folks, thanking you for doing this. I thank you for doing this. This was super oh, helpful. You're welcome. Yes. Um, someone saying, "Is this, will this be available later for sharing to my local reps?" Yes, yes, this will be available later, uh, all <laughs> over the place. That's a podcast too later on for those of you who subscribe. So, uh, whatever your local reps or whoever you'd like to share it with, uh, however they listen, they could certainly, uh, they could certainly listen to it. Uh, rural hospitals. Uh, so oh, somebody yeah, wants, you know, how, how is this, you know, we, we've had a, um, you know, a kind of a slate of hospitals that have been closing, especially in rural areas in Missouri for a number of years now. Um, will this have any impact on uh, rural health care in Missouri? I'm glad that question was asked because I've worked for almost 30 years on rural health care. Um, I'm part of a rural federal rural research center called, funded by the Office of Rural Health Policy. And... Um, as the question suggests, um, there's been in the last five years or so more rural hospital closures in the United States than there were in the previous 15 years. Um, I think 105, um, I could be, I think it's, it changes every day, sadly. Um, so it's probably more than that, it might be 115, 120 or so um, nationwide. In Missouri, last count, it might have been um, seven or 10 depending on how you count them, rural hospital closures in the last uh, several years. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, And it's obviously a really big deal if you live in those rural areas. Um, You know, if you can go to another hospital nearby, you know, it's less of a deal, but there was a well-known closure in the boot hill um, that where people got a lot of their... um, they did a lot of deliveries of babies where the next closest hospital was like an hour away mm-hmm. and you don't want to be hopping in a car going on Mm-mm. state highways for an hour if you're just about where they deliver so it got a lot of attention in national media so this is a pretty big deal and the federal government's worried about it the state legislature's worried about it federal policymakers across the aisle are worried about it so how does that relate to Medicaid? Um, so I'll tell you just in general, um, rural providers, rural hospitals are struggling, have been struggling a lot. They almost always do, but in the last 10 or so years, um, they struggle because um, not in every rural area, but especially um, ones that have a lot of uh, low income people and are losing jobs and losing population, which especially has been true since the 2008 recession and now in this recession, um, they, they're 
they really struggle. And we've seen hospitals where 60 to 80% of their revenues come from Medicare and Medicaid, and then another 10 to 20% are, is uncompensated. So they're not getting any revenue at all for that. And so if you're in a state that has an expended Medicaid, you're not getting dollars at all for those people who are coming in um, for, you know, uncompensated care, as we call it. So that's just money going out the door. So just in general, I'll tell you that hospitals run pretty narrow margins. It surprises people, you know, big hospitals like BJC, you know, their margins are bigger, but, you know, and their total budget's large, but even their margins probably 5% or 3 to 5%. It's a lot of money. But when you go to rural hospitals, their margins are negative. A lot of them are negative. They're zero, minus 1%, minus 2%. And you can't run a negative margin forever. Mm-hmm. And their boards won't let them do it. Their boards are local banks, local chamber of commerce. Um, and they say, and they'll come in the meeting and they'll go, you're running a negative balance. What are you going to do? And they'll say, just hang with me. Um, a lot of them were saying, we might expand Medicaid. We might expand Medicaid. And my point is that, you know, if you can expand Medicaid, turn that 10 to 20% of uninsured into a paying customer, even if they're not paying 100% of the costs, which is true with Medicaid, you might turn that negative 1% into zero or a little bit positive. And that may be enough to help. Um, it's notable that I'll tell you that many of the rural hospitals are in favor of Medicaid expansion and they're not, they're not liberal people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of them are conservatives. Um, and they, you know, they are saying we need this. Um, it's going to help them. Um, I believe it. Well, it's just my belief. I could, and I will say one other thing. We've run numbers through our center, and this will surprise people based on the way the vote went. Um, roughly 30% of Missourians live in rural areas, but about 40% of the people who are in the expansion population are going to be in rural areas in Missouri. Hmm. Um, and that will surprise people. Um, and we have numbers we put up on our center's website to show this. Um, and the reason that is, is because the uninsurance rates are higher in rural areas. It's been that way for several years. Um, and they're also high in central cities like St. Louis, but where they're low is like where I live in suburban St. Louis and suburban Kansas City and suburban Boone County. You know, it's like 6% or 3%. St. Charles, that kind of thing. But where they're high is in the Boot Hill and in the the place that's going to have the biggest impact of Medicaid expansion is in the Ozarks and in Northeast Missouri. That's where they're going to see the biggest um, percent proportional increase in Medicaid expansion. Hmm. Um, and so it's going to have a pretty big impact on the hospitals down there and the healthcare, rural health providers. Um, and that will probably surprise a lot of people. Um, so I, you know, and I will, the final thing I'll say is the literature is pretty clear on this, that the rural hospital closures have been proportionally in non-expansion states in the South. 
the states that have not expanded are mostly in um, those 12 states that are left. That's where most of the rural hospital closures have been. So that was a long answer. I'm sorry. It's a great question. Yeah, that's a great, very helpful answer too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, having traveled around the state um, and spoken with um, <laughs> uh, medical doctors from all sides of the aisle, uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of support for expanding Medicaid didn't really you know we have a very diverse state as you would know better than anybody you know we have rural areas that are doing quite well like in the wine country outside of St. Louis but we have rural areas that are really suffering in the lead counties and the boot hill and so you can't characterize Missouri easily at all right um, right but you know we have to think about those counties and the Ozarks and parts of northeast missouri where they have very few providers and so you know it's complicated mm -hmm. yep yeah <laughs> and i think one you know one of the cost savings too one of the um and there have been a few articles about this too specifically in missouri like national articles about this but the number of uh people who are brought into court dockets uh for medical debt uh mm -hmm. <laughs> You just, just, I mean, some of these rooms get packed on these days, um, you know, less so now with the virus, but at some point that's going to resume. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's something that we're all paying for right now. I mean, that has to, mm -hmm. that's stuff that we are paying for to have the court system and this docket open for all of these folks. And unfortunately, a lot of folks don't have representation and, uh, you know, I mean, you, you bankrupt somebody because of a medical bill and, and they're just back again. It, it's just, you know, an unfortunate cycle. And one that this there's, really a, help. there's a growing literature that one of the first effects you see from Medicaid expansion is not necessarily on their health status directly, but you see it in decreased uh, medical debt, decreased mm -hmm. um, evictions, so their housing is improved, and their mental health improves, which is yeah. not surprising because their stress goes down. Right. Yep. Yep, and working with folks who are facing eviction quite a bit now. Um, yeah, I mean, there, that's just the number of things that comes with that. Um, the effect that it has on the kids in the home, that it has on the neighborhood. I mean, it just, all of these, there's just a whole bunch of issues. And it, I mean, it's all associated with poverty. Um, and Yeah, you know, this is, so this poverty is really the mother of all of this. Yeah, it absolutely is. A um, couple quick questions before we... We get to the end here, man. Lots of lots of great comments. Thanks everybody for watching. Really appreciate it. Um, here's a quick one. I think I can probably hit, but maybe you might have some more insight into this. Um, with federal money coming in from the uh, American Rescue Plan for the expansion, why do we need more in the budget? And that kind of goes back to the. My understanding is that goes back to that constitutional issue again, where the legislature actually has to take the funds that we receive as a state and then allocate them to certain things. So. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why we've got so much in the bank now uh, has come through different kinds of plans and programs from the federal government. It just hasn't been allocated yet because it's not like the federal government can allocate on our behalf. That would be, uh, well, imagine the, the uproar in the legislature if that happened. Uh, yep. So, yeah, that, that's a responsibility that our legislature has to do. So, um, But, yeah, there is money coming through, as Dr. McBride showed us. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is great. This is for you. All right. It's never a dumb question. John, John asks wonderful questions every time. Okay. Hi, gentlemen. Does the federal funding go down over the years, and how long does it last? This is a great question. It was asked 
you know, have testified before and the legislature asked this question too, and they're nervous about this. Um, they say, well, okay, if we pass expansion, there's a 90-10 match as it's called, that's lingo. What that means is the federal government's paying 10% of the cost of expansion. What is What if that goes away? So what I didn't say just, you know, because in the interest of time is the other people that are not in the expansion population, we pay 35% of their costs. So, you know, some of the legislators say, well, what if the federal government kind of decides it's a spur of the moment, oh, we were just kidding. You're gonna to have to pay 35% of the cost of these people in the expansion population. Um, and then the state's kind of screwed because now the costs go up to sort of 300 million or something. Well, here's the answer to that question. Literally, it's in the law. It's in the Affordable Care Act, that 2000 page bill that was passed in 2010. And um, if a president wanted to do this, or if the Congress wanted to change that 10%, they would have to pass another law to change it. So even if President Trump or President Biden wanted to change that, they couldn't by themselves. They couldn't do this by regulation. This is extremely important because I'm sure President Trump might have wanted to change it. But as you know, the Republicans and President Trump tried to overturn the Affordable Care Act like 60 times, were not able to do so. So my point is that this is going to be in the law in perpetuity until it's not. And it would require another law to be passed by Congress for it to be changed. And we've seen how hard it was to try to overturn the Affordable Care Act. In fact, it was nearly impossible. It takes essentially 60 votes in the Senate to do that. And we saw famously, you know, mm -hmm. um, John McCain made that so that it wasn't going to happen. So I, as I like to tell people, as hard as it was to pass the Affordable Care Act, it'll be that hard to overturn it. So the quick answer to the question is, this is going to be there until it's not, and it's going to be there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So be confident there, you know, and one of the things Governor Nixon did when he was governor was he said, if you're worried about this, put in a provision that the day Congress changes, the expansion is over. Right. But, right. you know, I frankly just don't think we should worry about this. Yeah. This is like, and my list of things to worry about, it's like way down in the bottom of the list. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the and, and, you know, from, from the legal perspective, you know, if you start to change those kinds of numbers, I mean, that, that's, that's, <laughs> Governor Nixon's also uh, uh, an attorney. Used to be the Attorney General of Missouri for quite some time, yeah. uh, but uh, he very well understands too that from a constitutional standpoint, you know, if the federal government offers the state something in exchange for something else, it's very it's very similar to like contractual obligations. So um, you know, there wouldn't be an obligation on the state to continue anyway. It's not like we're trapped in this program and we're just at the yes. whims of this powerful federal government. Um, you know, that participation can change if, if that's what happens, but that's not. Imagine the uproar, yeah. not just in Missouri. Imagine yeah. the uproar in California, New York, right. and Wisconsin, Michigan, if all of a sudden you say, oh, your cost of your Medicaid program is going up by 25 percentage points. Right. You know, we would not be the first in line screaming at them. Right. Yeah. California, New York, and a lot of others would be screaming at them. Yeah.
Might hey, that might get some uh, bipartisan support. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, again, this is at the bottom of my list, yeah. and it's a great question. I'm glad somebody asked it because it does get asked a lot. But I, I told frankly, you, John, that was a good question. Told yep. you, John, always coming in here. Well, this was great. You know what? We hit. We're right at two. Uh, I want to give you a chance. Any kind of closing thoughts you might. This was super. I mean, this was so helpful, and and I'm very happy we got the slides in there to talk about the numbers and everything else. And, uh, you know, we'll get this up everywhere, too, so that folks can see this and use this resource as they want. Uh, but, yeah, any, any closing thoughts that you have about, uh, you know, where, where Medicaid is, what, what you'd like to see maybe moving forward, um, or, or just, you know, kind of concepts here for Missouri? Well, i just say that pay attention. This is going to be a wild ride between now and the whatever. Is it May 28th? Is that the end of the session? Something like that. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, yeah, they've got they yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, people have said this is going to be the most contentious issue going forward. Pay attention to what the Senate does. There's, um, you know, a lot of thoughtful people there um, and what signals the governor sends. Um, and, but, you know, this is in the Constitution. So you're a lawyer, I'm not. Um, that seems to speak um, importantly. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been, you know, one thing I pointed out to people is I've been at this for the long haul. I, I look back when this passed and the first time I worked on Medicaid expansion was 2005. So this is my 16th year working on Medicaid expansion. So you just got to sort, sort of think about the long run on this. So, yeah. so you know, um, let's just look back and nest on July 1st and see where we're at. Well, maybe we'll have to have you come back on after that. We'll see how busy you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and coming on and sharing all of this with Missouri. It's obviously a very important and timely topic, and I know a lot of folks uh, who've been watching are very happy. So uh, thank you so much for everything that you've done for Missouri. Thanks for really inviting me. Absolutely. You can tune into our programs live on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, or at aladgross.live. You can also submit questions and see all of our previous programs. If you'd like to get more involved in our government, visit takebackmissouri.org and sign up to volunteer. Until next time, this is Alad Gross, and thanks for listening to the Alad Pod.